The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In our last post, we began a sermon about God's answer to Job and his miserable comforter friends. We entitled this section of Job, The Answer's God, What's the Question? And you know, that's a pretty apt title because the answer to every problem of life is God. There's no trouble in life that we can face that won't be solved by a higher view of God. So join us today as we continue looking at God's answers to Job and his friends, and we see just how great God really is. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
I love the C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia. I love those. And one of the things in that book, the, uh, the lion Aslan is, is the type of the Lord Jesus Christ, of God, of God there in those Chronicles of Narnia. And one of the things they always say about Aslan is he's not a tame lion. He's not a tame lion. In other words, you can't pin him down and put him in a box. We preached some time back about the topic of is your God in a box. You cannot put God in a box. Now, I'm not saying he never acts contrary to his nature as revealed to us in his word. But I'll tell you this, he doesn't always appear in the same way. He was in a whirlwind in Job's day. I'm sure Elijah had read about that. Elijah knew about him in the whirlwind. But in Elijah's day, as he was over there in the juniper, under the juniper tree, and then he went on out into the into the mountain and he hid out there in a cave. We're told in verse 11 of 1 Kings 19, Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and breaking pieces of the rock before the Lord. Now, okay, he, that must be God. That's the whirlwind, right? That must be God. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. Well, that surely must be God. The earthquakes in my life, oftentimes I think, oh, that's got to be God. Has he been in the earthquakes? Absolutely, he's been in an earthquake. He sent an earthquake to break Paul, or uh, Peter and, uh, uh, and, and his companion out of prison, okay? But God, the Lord, was not in the earthquake here. And after the earthquake, a fire. He had just seen the fire. God had just sent the fire down from heaven to burn up the altar and to lick up even the water. I love that. <laughs> I'm not careful I get off preaching on that tonight, but let me just say this much about it. Brother, Glenn, Brother Glendon knows this. How do you put out fire? You put water on it. In Elijah's day, we saw fire put out water. <laughs> water usually puts out fire, but in Elijah's situation, the fire put out the water. It licked it all up. <laughs> After God had told him, you douse it so thick with water, you make it so... Uh, mushy with water that, uh, that there's no doubt who did this. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Now, again, I don't want to get too far afield on this tonight, but I just want to say this, that sometimes in all the clanging noise of this world, the still, small voice of God gets lost. We need to sometimes come aside from all of the hustle and bustle of life and just listen to the still, small voice of God. Today, you know how he speaks to us? Right here in his word. We need a little, we need a little quiet time with the Lord from time to time. But you see, God doesn't always look like we think he ought to look, and he certainly doesn't, he doesn't look like us. Men are always impressed by special effects. And that, you know, when I first watched The Wizard of Oz, when I was five years old or six years old, it scared me to death, all those special effects. But the special effects of men are always just lights, camera, and action. They're smoke and mirrors. God's special effects are real, are real. And they're always consistent with His Word. Okay? We can agree on that, can't we? He's always consistent with His Word. God is not in every whirlwind, but he was in this whirlwind. He was, as I said earlier, remember Elihu was talking about the, the thunder and the lightning. Maybe he, maybe he saw it coming, you know. <laughs> but God doesn't always look like us, and he doesn't always think like us. Now, he certainly 
always thinks higher than us, but he's given us a little inkling sometimes into how he thinks. But generally, though, he doesn't, he doesn't think like we do. He doesn't think like we do. Over in Romans chapter 11, in verse 33, just turn over there for a second, and let's read about how God thinks. Listen to this. Romans 11 and verse 30, 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. The problem with Job's friends in particular is they thought they had God figured out. But notice what it says in verse 34. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Once you think you've got God figured out, he'll surprise you every time. I love what Brother Buddy says about preaching and trying to show people the truth of God's word. You know, sometimes I get to thinking, well, if I can just point out this verse and this verse and this other verse, they'll just automatically convert. <laughs> they'll just come to see the truth. And they should. <laughs> they should. But you know, God has a way of working it that every time someone converts in a gospel way to see the truth of grace, he always gets the glory. He always gets the glory, you know. Otherwise, I could just publish a book and say, here's the five-step or ten-step or twelve-step program to convert everybody to a belief in the doctrines of grace. How to make everybody a primitive Baptist in ten days. Wouldn't that be, that'd be just a great book, wouldn't it? But it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You see, you think we've got God's mind figured out, but we don't have his mind figured out. His, who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. You want to know about God? Of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. So it is important that we know about God. It is important that we understand some of the natures, some of the aspects of the nature of God, of his divine power, of his divine omniscience, of his divine glory, of his divine workings. But it's more important that we know God, that we see him in his glory. You know, there, there are times when I think about God and I try to explain some things about him and I can kind of get it in my head. But when I get a vision of God as he shows to me from time to time, like he did Isaiah, I don't have the words to explain him. He is beyond my vocabulary to describe. I know, I, I think there'll be times in heaven, I hope there will be, where, where we'll be able to go up to him and commune with him directly and and be at peace in his presence and maybe even maybe even talk with him. I, I believe we'll be able to just talk with him and to talk with certainly with the Lord Jesus Christ and, and that that person of the God. But but I don't believe when we get to heaven, we're gonna run up to God and we're gonna say, Hey old buddy, old pal, I've been waiting to come see you up here. You know, I have questions that I'd like to get answered. I, I, I want to ask you about this, and I want to ask you about that. I believe we will be speechless in the presence of God when we get up there. I know one thing. We're not going to be walking up to him and saying, hey, I want my crown now. <laughs> Where's my other crown for doing this? Where's my crown for being a preacher? Where's my crown for being a deacon? Where's my crown for being a faithful church member? No, if you got a crown at all, you're going to look up there and say, what am I doing with this? And throw it at his feet. Cast those crowns at his feet because, you see, 
of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. You know, I don't want to turn there, but you read the first chapter of 1 Corinthians sometime and you're going to see that uh, the foolishness of God, if there were such a thing, <laughs> is wiser than men. Now, we know God's not foolish. There's no foolishness with him. We get that. I get that. But he's using this. The Spirit prompted Paul to write this in a way we could understand it. He's saying that the, the least of God's great attributes, the most foolish of his thoughts, if there could even be such a thing, is wiser than the wisest guru that ever lived on the face of the earth. The weakness of God, and God has no weakness, but if he had a weakness, if you want to, 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 in order for us to understand it, the weakness of God, wherever you might say or think he would be weak, the weakness of God is stronger than the strongest man who's ever lived. And I say that this way too, he's stronger than all the men put together that have ever lived on the earth if you took all their strength and combined it. The weakness of God is stronger than that. It's what he said in Isaiah 55, right? He said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. He said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You think you got God figured out? Beloved, it's the other way around. He's got you figured out. <laughs> Psalm 139 Psalm 139, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. <laughs> Bildad and Elihu and all those others over there. They thought they had God figured out, but the truth is God had them figured out. Job thought he had God figured out. And they were arguing about God, but God had them all figured out. Thou hast searched me and known me. That is the God that we serve. He knows who we are. But it's more than that. He searched us. There's not a cell of your being that God is not intimately familiar with. And not only is he familiar with it, he knows you. He knows exactly what chemical reaction is about to occur in your body as you sit there tonight in the deepest, darkest mitochondrial cell of your body. He knows exactly what's going on. I know it's my down-sitting and my uprising. You know, I was so glad that this week Sherry got to go with me on my trip down to Montgomery. I was so glad to have her with me because there's many times I go and I'm gone for several days like last week. And I can't even remember myself every time I stood up and every time I sat down and every place I went. I, I was telling her something, seemed like it was sometime this week about last week and I was like oh yeah I forgot I saw this person or I talked to that person and I mean think about it even the people that are with you all day every day don't know every detail of what you're doing but God knowest my down sitting and mine uprising now, this is one that's scary thou understandest my thought afar off you know what I'm thinking when I tell you God knows what I'm thinking when I don't tell you. He also knows what I'm thinking when I lie to you about what I'm thinking. He knows what I'm really thinking. See, thou compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. 
I've told you all this before that I've struggled in earlier years to, with using ugly language in everyday talk. I've had some success over the past, you know, several years in, in controlling that, but, but I confess to you there have been times some of those words have come up in my mind and have been on the tip of my tongue. But you don't know it because I didn't say them. But there's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou knowest it altogether. Now, I'm not saying you might as well have said it because <laughs> you're better off not to say those foul, that use foul language. But from the standpoint of what God knows, you might as well have said it because he knows you thought it. He knows what you were thinking. See, he doesn't, doesn't think like us. And then, as we bring this to a close tonight, notice that he doesn't ever answer to us. He doesn't ever answer to us. Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Look over in chapter 40. In verse 1, where there's been a little interlude here, and God said, it says, Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. <laughs> Over in verse 6 of that same chapter, Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind, Gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. God says, Job and your friends, you are going to answer me. Now Job had started out on this same path. Back over in chapter 9 and verse 1, remember what Job said here? I'm just going to turn back over there and read it right quick. In chapter 9 and verse 1, Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? If he, that is, if man will contend with God, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. In other words, if God comes on the scene and starts asking me questions, I can't answer these questions. Verse 32, he says, There's, He is not a man as I am that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that I might lay his hand, that, that might lay his hand upon us both. You know, we use that, of course, to talk about Christ down the road. But here, Job's got the right idea. I can't answer God. But then notice as we turn on over uh, in, this, in chapter 13 in particular, in verse 22, he's talking about God now. He says, then call thou, that is God, call, and I will answer. Or let me speak and answer thou me. In other words, God, if you'll just ask the questions, I'll answer you. Or if you won't answer, uh, ask the questions, I'll ask you some questions. Over in chapter 23, <laughs> I like this part. I like this part. There's a famous sermon it was preached many years ago from this chapter that I won't get into tonight, but it's a good one if you ever get a chance to look it up. Notice verse 1 of chapter 23. Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. If I just knew where God was, that I might come even to his seat, I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. <laughs> I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. See, Job started out on the right path, but he got sidetracked. He got moved away from that. But God gets him back on track. He says, here I am. You're going to answer to me. And he does it in such a, <laughs> I love the way he does it. Going back to chapter 40 and verse 2. 
Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. God says, here I am. Let's just see what you have to say, big boy. Let's see what you have to say. The word contendeth there means to strive in a legal setting. It's about making an argument in court. And here's what he says. You asked for it, Job. Here I am. What do you have to say now? The word instruct him when it says he that reproveth God. He that reproveth God. That's somebody who instructs him. That's, a, that's somebody who's trying to fault find with God or correct him. You see, God has no counselors. He has no instructors. And Job is not going to be the first one. So as we bring this to a close tonight in our introduction here of God coming on the scene. One of the primary things that we need to remember when we're dealing with God is that He is God and we are not. I can't emphasize that enough. And that means He is right in everything that He does. So when our understanding and God's understanding part ways or when we misunderstand or when we don't understand, we've got to recognize that God is right. When we think that God's doing something wrong, the problem's with us and not with God. Either we're misunderstanding what's going on or we're incorrect in our assessment or our perception of what's right and wrong. And there's no more classic place that this occurs in a very common way in the world than in Romans chapter 9. We're not going to go down through that whole chapter, but I am going to turn there just for a moment because it's a very familiar chapter to us where God is setting forth the great, sweet, precious doctrine of election. The fact that he in his sovereign counsels from before the foundation of the world chose a people in Christ to be saved by the death of Christ, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And there are people that struggle with this today. And in fact, after he sets forth this great doctrine of election, where he says to them that uh, the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. He said, it's written, the elder shall serve the younger. It's written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. In verse 14, he says, what shall we say then? Now, what we ought to say is he's God and I'm not whether we understand it or not. Now, he wants us to understand it. Don't get me wrong. But whether we understand it or not, he is God and we are not. And the common objection to that is, is there unrighteousness with God? It just wouldn't be right if God chose some and didn't give everybody a chance. I don't have time tonight to go through. You know, we've told you before so many times and we see it here that when we take that approach, we misunderstand God. We misunderstand the doctrine of election. It's about the compassion and mercy of God. It's the ultimate expression of God's love. That's what the doctrine of election is. But you know what the first answer is that we should give whenever we come before God and say, God, what you're doing just isn't right. It just wouldn't be right for you to be doing this. God forbid. God forbid. That's essentially what he's saying over there to Job and his friends. You've got all these questions. You're trying to explain me in ways that are somewhat right but totally wrong, <laughs> especially in their application. God forbid that you should not see me in my glory and recognize that I am God and you are not. And we're going to see as we go through this 
the rest of the chapter, uh, the book rather of Job, that this revelation of God as who he is, lifted up in his glory, is a comfort to Job. And it ought to be a comfort to us. Because you see, going back to what we said earlier, the answer is God. No matter what the question is. Are you struggling with sin in your life? The answer is God. Are you struggling with sickness in your life? The answer is God. Are you struggling with financial ruin in your life? The answer is God. Are you struggling with death? The only answer, the only answer is God. You see, God is the answer to every question of life. What a comfort it is to know that our God, as he reveals himself in the word, is all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, and loves his people from everlasting to everlasting. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.